at it again with the stale memes and the dead horse we're beating. Gabe wears the same three outfits. Um, any more on is, rotation? Any more outfits than three is too many outfits. Maybe four. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually unsure. Do you know how many outfits you have? Well, the combinations and permutations of the three outfits, I can make maybe five or six outfits. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you had that shirt? I don't know. I want to say five or six years. I got it hand-me-down, I think, in San Diego at a thrift store. St. Diego. And it served me well. It's actually, it's been good, it's been good to me. Maybe you should hit your elbows through your ripped hole in your shirt. You know, people pay good money for holes in their clothing these days, and I just do it for free. I buy regular clothes, and I put the holes in it myself. That's entrepreneurial. This shirt is like the equivalent of a 2004 Honda Civic, which is what I drive. Non-refundable. That's okay. I wouldn't return this shirt. Yeah, it's a good shirt. I think think you could do better. Let's go shopping. I don't think so. We should should go shopping. Let's go to the mall today i'm just not a guy you know that's sh- from no is it the office no is it lost no star wars <laughs> how i met your mother oh cool i just saw a clip floating around the internet yesterday of a show with who's the guy who plays the main character in that show ted mosby ted mosby was sitting across a dining table uh from elizabeth olsen do they ever share a scene in anything i mean clearly yes. they did but... they're, they're i think they were in a movie together or something oh. And that scene, I don't remember anything about it because I was just, I was in awe of how absolutely gorgeous Elizabeth Olsen is. I know where you're going. I think they were talking about him being an art snob, but everything else was just gone because she is the most perfect human being there is. This is crazy because I think when I first said that to you, you like didn't recognize it and now you're like finally recognizing it. Well, because it's not just her appearance. It's like everything about a person it's so she has like the voice yeah she has the intelligence right she has the charisma and the wit humor yeah have you seen ingrid goes west no it's is that the one with aubrey plaza aubrey plaza wyatt russell elizabeth olsen and the other crazy dude ice cubes kid ice cubes kid o'shea jackson they him, jr they call him crushed ice no, and, and then <laughs> billy magnuson oh you know yeah the unhinged Aryan dude yes exactly Love that guy. So great cast. Amazing comedy, especially for like our day and age. It's like one of the best comedies to come out. Well, it's not even just comedy. It's more like a dramedy, I guess. It's like... Some adventure notes. And it's all plays off of social media. It's just so good. I love that movie. It was like a Palm Springs level film. Elizabeth Olsen and Aubrey Plaza are like two thirds of Exodia. We just need... um like uh, what is that? Allison Brie. What is that? I think it's an old meme. Oh, okay, but it checks out. So <laughs> I think I don't know if it's exclusive. It's to like League of Legends e- equivalent. <laughs> oh, but that's Equ- where I heard equivalent it. with like some sort of Illuminati. No, it's I feel like it's a it's like a Yu Gi Oh meme or something. Oh, Yu Gi Oh. You ever play Yu Gi Oh? I know. I know. Yeah, my I used friends to, are still I used into to watch it. So. What? I, they keep me appraised. Your friends are into Yu-Gi-Oh still? Not like... We're act- so off base. They have a game. You can just play like a tabletop sim, like a video game. Never mind. What are we talking about today, Steven? Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> yeah, it's an Elizabeth Olsen cast. No, today we're doing this amazing, amazing thing. This is This is by far maybe my favorite thing I think I've seen on TV yet this Since year. Severance. This year. <laughs> Oh yeah, since Severance, for Which sure. Was in 
April. Do you like th- this show? Yeah. What we're going to talk it's, about? It's, uh, you like it as much as me? I think I like it like less. If we were to scale ourselves up to 100, I would be like just a couple points below you. Okay. But today we're talking about The Bear. The, the Bear. Bear. From FX. Yep. And streaming. Hulu. Yeah, streaming on Hulu. I think it's actually a Hulu exclusive. Oh, with, maybe with, oh. F, with FX. Yeah, I but think you're right. I'm not sure. I was thinking of Banner of Heaven because I saw the. Yeah. This show, the reason I love it so much, I'll mm-hmm. just say from the outset, is because it's a tight eight episodes. Super tight. Barely like 25 minutes per episode. Uh, there's a little bit of leeway in the seventh episode because it's like a one shot. And then episode eight fills up kind of the, the time for that uh, time miss in the previous episode. But just an amazing story start to finish. Just a perfect season of television amazing characters amazing cast quality all around i am just like falling more and more in love with fx and hulu and what they're doing so they're killing it i but i just this is just such a good season i haven't heard one person say anything bad about it yeah it's catching fire they not not to mention the hunger games but (laughs) it is people the word of mouth is spreading (laughs) spreading far and wide Wow. And I am glad we watched it because it was good. And there are many things that make it good. Let's talk about that. Well, actually, let's talk about who's in the cast. We have an an incredible ensemble of small-time performers, actors. Are they small-time? Led by the fantastic Jeremy Allen White as Carmen or Carmi, who people know from Shameless, right? Yes. Uh, And a few other... Thanks. Next is Eben. Flow. Eben Moss. <laughs> Backrack. Buckrock. <laughs> Buckrock. <laughs> Buttrack? <laughs> no. <gasps> Buckrock. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> listen. It's. I am listening. <laughs> you you want to read it? It's Who the is second it? Second dude. It's Eben Moss. And then the word is. Buck Rock. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> Buck Rock. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. He was actually in Punisher with John Bernthal. That's so sad. <laughs> Newcomer uh, Ayo Edibiri plays Sydney. I don't think I'd ever seen her before, but she's been in Dickinson with New Hawkeye. Yeah. Hawk Girl. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this cast is fucked okay we got L- Lionel Boyce as Marcus filling out the kitchen we've got Lise. was he the, was he the, sh- the baker yeah Liza Colon Zayas as was she the candlestick maker <laughs> Tina Edwin Lee Gibson as Ibrahim Richard Astaire as Manny Jose Cervantes as Angel Abby Elliott plays Carmi's sister Sugar or Natalie. Yeah, back at it again from SNL. Oh, I thought I recognized her. Yeah, she was in SNL for a while. She was good in this role. Yeah, she's great. And her husband is Pete, played by Chris. Oh, he was funny. Witaski. We also have Fack, played by Matty, Matty Matheson. Is and that... I was right. That was Joel McHale in the second episode playing the f- chef out of hell. Hell chef. Oh, okay. I don't know who Joel McHale is. Yeah, you do. Why? Why do I? Joe McHale is uh, who? Who from Community? 
I never watched Community. Spoilers to our listeners. Community did not grip me, but I watched through season one and I was like, eh. Oliver Platt was also in there as Uncle Jimmy. Yeah. And spoilers, spoilers. for the show starting now. now spoilers. Because we Big can't recommend the show enough. Go watch go it. Go watch it. Pause the podcast. Go watch your tight four and a half hours of television. Come back and finish the cast. Yeah. Spoilers. Carmi's brother, who in the story just killed himself and left him the restaurant that they Michael. work at. Michael. His name is Michael. His name is Michael, and he's played by none other than... Burnthal. John Burnthal, the Punisher himself. John Burnthal. I was actually thinking, I was like, what what actor? Because I someone had spoiled it for me that it was like a big name actor uh, in a flashback, and I was like, oh, who could it be? And then when he, John Burnthal popped up, I was like, of course! Because there's not a lot of like, actors that can actually play that kind of like gritty Chicago. But like Burnthal is just like the perfect casting for that. It's not even the first time he's played a dead man who exists solely in flashback <laughs> scenes. True. Pretty sure that's what he did in Wind River. I was going to say Walking Dead when he dies and comes back as a zombie. Yeah. I love cameo. <laughs> John, I mean, John Bernthal is always good, but it's always fun to see him just pop up like for a second in some other show or he's movie. He's so good. I And I've I said this before, I think maybe to you, but or I'm not sure if we said it on the cast, but he's like by far and large one of my favorite actors right now. Like, mm-hmm. easy. He might be my favorite actor. Like, if someone's like, who's your favorite actor? I probably would say John Bernthal or someone like that. But I, I just love this man. I love Until he is me too I just love that guy. Please don't. I just feel like everyone's f***ing up these days, so. Yep. We're all just humans, you know? Yeah. Some of us just uh, have farther to fall. So, Stephen, what is this show about? I'll tell you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) When it was first pitched to me, someone had said, the main guy from Shameless, his name's Carmi in this, he's like a world-class chef, and his brother dies and leaves him his family, their family, sandwich restaurant shop in Chicago, and he gives up everything to come and run this sandwich shop. That's how it was pitched to me, and I was like, oh, that sounds actually pretty fascinating. Uh, and then I saw a couple ads for it and I was like, wow, it just looks really good. But what ends up happening, a couple more details to expand upon that. He tries to come in and, and run this sandwich shop, sort of like, you know, like a world-class kitchen that he's used to running. He's kind of coming up against a lot of adversity with the people that have been working there forever. Cause he doesn't want to fire them like to pay homage to his brother. We find out he's carrying a lot of anxiety and baggage and uh, that bleeds into the everyday work, which makes for a pretty exhausting, anxiety-inducing work environment. It's like uh, Safety Brothers Kitchen. Yes. And we find out a lot of it is from a lot of baggage and guilt processing, or, or actually probably lack of processing. The death of his brother, which was, as we said, by suicide, we're not exactly sure why yet um and then his sister is also in town and he's pretty despondent in the relationship with her and she is always angry at him for not reaching out enough and there is a young woman this is sydney's character who shows up she's she also has gone through a lot of the same training that he has gone through you know she she knows how to 
work in a kitchen like that. And, and he appoints her as his sous chef, which is kind of like the right hand man to the main chef, which is himself. And he kind of gives her the authority to run the kitchen in a specific manner. And then so it, it shows a lot of his anxiety and, and it kind of centers around him and the characters. They, he calls them all chefs out of respect. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. And Sydney, it follows a lot of Sydney's character as she's trying to kind of pull the reins in on these really kind of like stuck in a rut chefs or characters that have been working in the sandwich shop forever. And it kind of just snowballs from there. And at some point they think they're going to get their head above the ground. They're kind of like drowning and, and work and, and not making enough money. And it ends in this really beautiful way. I don't even know if we should talk about that. Are we going to talk about that? Yeah, we, we, don't need to. we probably will. Cause I think it's a huge point to why, what makes the season so good. Okay. Well, it ends in this really uh, punch you in the gut, a kind of like full circle kind of way, the whole season that I really, really loved. And I'll just say that I won't spoil it, but this show is just so gripping that we don't, we probably don't even need to mention that, but I think it ended perfectly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what the show is about. So Gabe, what are your feelings about the bear? You had a very hard time watching. This. I did, Stephen. Thank you for bringing it up. I did. It was. Uh, I actually had to turn it off uh, in the first episode because I was getting anxiety. Uh, I've never had a full blown panic attack, but I've I've gotten pretty close. I used to work at restaurants. I spent a significant chunk of my life. Your before which, life. At this point in my life, it's a quarter of my life I spent working at. Various restaurants and food establishments. Similar environments to this. Yeah. Just slightly less brigade but it was still a very intense atmosphere at times, especially during, you know, holidays and stuff like that. So, uh, like we, I mentioned the Safety Brothers when Stephen was talking about the story, but this restaurant environment is a very cutthroat place at any level, like in the big city, because there's always a rush hour for a popular spot and... The infrastructure at The Beef, which is this restaurant that Carmi runs in the show, is pretty terrible until he's able to shore it up by the end of the show. But then there's always new problems being introduced. Like at some point, I think in the seventh episode, they try to use a new electronic system and it, it goes haywire and it just causes everyone a whole new level of grief, and which leads into the conflict for the final episode. But yeah, it was just, it's very stressful and it, it cut me pretty deep personally because of my own past and I had to stop watching it a couple times in the first few episodes before I really got into the rhythm of the show and got to know the characters a little bit better so but did you have like did you like it was actually like I was getting like I could feel my uh heart rate speeding up so I had to like do some breathing exercises this was like every other episode I was like (laughs) getting like uh the ptsd from the restaurant do you feel like at a certain point you came to enjoy the watch or was it a struggle the whole time no yeah it was actually like it was i I feel like i did force you to watch it because i thought it was that good like it was worth watching i remember what cena was it was halfway through the second episode after carmy's nightmare which was like the hardest part of the show for me because those are the same nightmares i've had 
literally in my own life, like the kitchen is exploding and everything's going wrong. On Only fire. I don't wake up like burning my own kitchen, yeah. you know, like a night terror. But but no, it was halfway through the second episode when Cousin Richie is in the car with Sid running an errand and he picks up his phone and there's like a camera like lingers on him for like three, like he was like five minutes as he's talking with his wife and then his daughter on the phone. And it, it blows open this whole character and that's where I, the show for me like started to take shape, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be pretty rad moving forward," because all the characters are so well written, and they're all very, very rich. Yeah, they're all they're also very each distinguishable and distinct. Yes. Yeah. So I was fully in for the ride at that point, and it just keeps getting better every episode. There's like it's kind of like there's little vignettes, but there's an overarching story as well. So I really liked Tina's character a lot too. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, because they really spent a lot of time showing that she was being very spiteful towards Sydney, and then she yeah. eventually came around and started, like, like she respected her and defended her, ultimately. Yeah, and Carmi as well. And yeah. she has this great moment I actually made a note of as well. I only made a few notes for the show, but one of them was what I call the Ratatouille moment, where this happens particularly with Tina, because she's, like, she starts out as the Sundere, like, you know, that she has that ruggish exterior that it's hard to penetrate and like find the the warm. She, she keeps claiming that she doesn't speak English. <laughs> yeah, she's such a joker. But later on in the show, like halfway through the show, Sydney or Carmi, one of them uh, has they have her taste this dish that they prepared, and you could see Tina has this incredible facial acting where. She like she starts out, she's eating the dish, and then she runs through like she has the ratatouille moment where the dish like is first of all it's amazing but it's also the dawning realization that she has that oh these people know what they're know doing, what they're doing yeah. here yeah and that I could stand to learn a thing or two and beyond that I could like there's a there's like a camaraderie we have yet to develop in the future so it was mm-hmm. it's a really cool journey yeah. to take with all those characters and that was just Tina's but they all have things well most of them like at least half a dozen of them are like uh, characters that have their own little arcs. And I love that it took its time. It didn't feel like it was rushing anything. You know, if anything, it felt like it had these like sort of tangential episodes, even where it was like, okay, well, where, where, where is the story progressing right now? Yeah. But it also like this, the episodes are so short that you don't really care. Cause it, the quality like remains the same, mm-hmm. even in the short episodes that you like, you think, why does this plot matter or what's happening in this episode? And and then they just keep going, and then things continue to develop. That it takes its time to the point where like you're not angry with it for doing something seemingly tangential because it usually brings it back around pretty quickly. But it doesn't rush it. You know, it doesn't rush through the character beats to where they would feel like unnatural mm-hmm. or out of place. You know, one of the other cool things I like about the final episode is there's this big monologue by our main character Carmi Jeremy Allen White and this is because you can see him processing and even acknowledging that he doesn't know how to deal with some of the emotions that he's confronted with and he says that to some of his other characters as the story continues to unfold especially and then he, his sister yes especially his sister a little bit to Sydney but he finally kind of understands a little bit more about why he might be acting the way that he is or why he uh, has so much anxiety. 
And he has this beautiful monologue in the end and the final episode, final episode. And, uh, it just felt so full circle. Mm -hmm. Like it felt so, it felt so good to get that moment after watching such a stressful four hours of television up to that point, you know? Yeah. And it didn't feel gratuitous or, uh, disingenuous. It felt like really natural. And I don't know how else to describe it. Like it, because it was earned, mm-hmm. like they earned that moment because they have been avoiding the specifics of his character throughout the whole season. But you as the audience member don't, you never really get a moment to question why his character might be feeling the things that he's feeling. Cause they just go right into the next thing or the next insane problem that arises <laughs> because it's such a stressful show like the way that it's filmed and the way that they they work it out the way that the plot unfoils throughout each episode it's just so anxiety inducing so you never really get a moment to feel or stop and think and i think it's so clever that they really as the filmmakers made the show almost as stressful as the main character probably feels his stress you know as that environment is a stressful environment for him you as the viewer are watching this extremely stressful show. And so you don't get to process the main character's emotions. Like he also doesn't get to process his emotions. And so when you finally get that moment in the end, I just thought it was so satisfying. It's very cathartic. Yeah. And especially after that, I mean, so much happens in the, in the finale, but even without saying uh, exactly what happens plot wise in the final minutes, when, uh, Carmi finally gets the note from his brother. It like the way he comes to terms with his brother's death in that finale is a uh, like the perfect complete ending to his story in the first season. And I just want to say how nice it is to have I mean you already mentioned how complete this season is in and of itself, but to have just a fully contained story with beginning, middle and end and everything just and it's, works. It's not sequel baiting. Yeah, yeah, it's open for further storytelling, but it's not sequel baiting at yeah, all. It's at just, all, yeah. It's the perfect place to leave the story. Yes. And if nothing else was ever made in the bare yeah. cinematic universe, <laughs> it would be fine, and we would be perfectly fine with that. Right, right. I, I completely agree. I was just going to say it's just refreshing to see such a naturalistic... I mean, you already mentioned the performances, but like... The whole me- the message of the show, like revolving around dealing with trauma, we've seen that stuff before, but something approaching anxiety from this perspective is really unique, or at least I haven't seen it before, not just in restaurants, but in like in a work environment that is something that is so obviously um, like Kafka-esque, like we're just, ma- we're digging the hole ourselves, we're just making it worse for ourselves. Mm. Like so many of the problems in the show are just like... <laughs> as the viewer it's easy to see these things going wrong especially mm-hmm. towards the end of the show like people are just making like mistakes and then blaming each other for it like when Sydney's like trying to push her like stuff on and Carmi's just trying to deal with all this other stuff and then Carmi right. explodes and then everybody's like screaming at each other it's just it's really unfortunate to see but they they address they have they have these moments in the show these little quiet moments where the characters are talking to each other and there's a sense of clarity there, mm-hmm. like narratively, where they're talking about like what's going on and mm-hmm. how we as humans are are coping in these moments and things we can do to help each other out. It's just it felt like 
uh, it was like the, the whole show was like a therapy session and I feel like it would do a lot of people good to be able to watch this and kind of yes meditate on it for a bit. Right. Just a minute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before you continue with your daily lifestyle. It's like I say, everybody should work six months in restaurants just to get a little uh, customer, empathy. Customer service. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, expanding upon that a little bit, I think the writing uh, is so fascinating. Like I, I always am so dumbfounded when I look at a show like this that seemingly... It, it, it feels like it's impossible to write. Like, I, I could never write this. It's just not something I could write. I could never write this. I these. think you could write something like this. I, I feel like This I, show, you know what made this show? I'm going to cut you off for 30 seconds. This is just the show from, like, a few talented creative writers who are not being bogged down by co- Disney committees. I'm going to just take shots at Disney real quick. Whoa. It's so obvious this was just a story being told for its own sake. Anybody could do this if they had, like... Have the passion, the drive, obviously come first, have and the like talent, the outlet. The but you just need to not have like, yeah, the mega corpse, <laughs> sure, like pushing the the story by committee down on top of you. Yeah, I hear you. I I still feel like there's this. We we keep. I I've used the word natural a few times, and you you just said the word naturalistic, but there's this very naturalistic way of the characters interacting, and the way that the kitchen operates. And the way that the the camera moves around the kitchen and that just feels so like, and it seems so chaotic and hectic. You might say it's organic. Yeah. feels very organic or natural. And so I, I, to me, it just is like, wow, if this was actually written on page, like I'd love to see a script and see if I feel the same sort of anxiety, you know, while reading it. And so the fact that it was written probably at some point before it got to this point where we're seeing it play out this way, I think is kind of a, a, a feat of engineering in of itself. I'd love to see the storyboards. Yeah. But I think a big credit if, to that is the editing. The even storyboard well. them out. Yeah. The editing. Yeah. The, I mean, the editing is definitely a part of that, but I also wanted to say this was produced by like 13 or 14 people. Oh. One, one of them. Yeah. So there's a lot of producers that I feel like had probably some input into and I'm assuming a lot of those people are creatively are on the same page that had input into how this show is going to look and feel. One of them, his name is Hiro Marai, who is the director for multiple uh, episodes of Atlanta. He's also one of the producers of Atlanta, which is a show that we love. You can go back and listen to our Atlanta podcast episode. We'll be doing another one when season four hits in a couple months, but uh, we love Atlanta, and we have full confidence in Hiro Mirai. I feel like at this point, there's no reason not to. But, um, yeah, I, I think that also I'm just saying that because it, it just or goes to show that good producers and, and, and people who are already making very artful things should be put in charge of other projects as well, I think. Uh, similarly to how, and this is coming back to Disney, but to how they had trust in John Favreau because he've he's made a lot of really good stuff. I I think John Favreau is at the point where he is almost like being like milked a little bit too much, but stop milking him. Yeah, but <laughs> but I I think with with artists who are making their own sort of IPs or like they're coming up with their own ideas that. They, it's kind of like sky's the limit and they can kind of just let their artistry fly and they don't really have to, there's no ceiling cap 
to where they just can't do a thing. So yeah, it's really cool to see. And it's really cool to see something like this that I think is such a, I think it's such a smash hit everyone I know. And it's so accessible for what it is. Like mm-hmm. I, it's not like talk. It's not dealing with murder or sex or anything It's dealing with like anxiety and food, food and I mean, there, it does have the sort of byline of suicide and, and tragedy and loss, but... But also good food. Yeah, <laughs> with food. I was curious, do you have anything to say, Gabe, about the metaphor that we see the show open with, where he's he's trying to open the cage for the bear and what that might be about? Uh, I, yeah, as a an accredited psychologist, <laughs> my take is that the bear was probably his repression of his, you know... Trauma? Trauma. Now, what, like, the nature of that is, is or, like, what the, the details of that are, I think it's a little bit more tricky. Like, I mean, it's a lot. Like, he, and he talks in the monologue in the finale about, like, everything, about growing up in his brother's shadow and what his brother meant to him and then how that internalized and manifested in his pursuit for the culinary arts and how relentless it became. And the farther away, the more estranged he became from his family, particularly his brother, His uh, the intensity intensified <laughs> for his passion <laughs> for being a chef and right. his pursuit of perfection in that regard. So, But all that, I think, and the, the, the raw amount of stress and anxiety that causes him, I think all that is represented by the bear. And so him... Because it's like, it's something that everybody can connect with, I think, on a level, can relate with mm-hmm. not wanting to deal with that thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's caged. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. Uh, him like dancing around, letting it out is like his journey in the show is, is, his, is that thing slowly rising to the surface and then it explodes and he, there's some fallout, but he ultimately does end up dealing with his stuff. I, he's clearly still got miles to go before he can sleep, but. Uh, his progress with the Al-Anon meetings and reconnecting with his sister and coming to terms with the beef restaurant and finding reconciliation with the rest of his team that he was at odds with. That's all part of that coming to terms process and, and that healing process. So I don't know. We also see the bear in the finale, like out of the cage and it's manifested in part of his other waking terrors of like, the restaurant being on fire and especially the way the finale opens with him like on a tv set on like a cooking show oh right set yeah the bear was like behind the camera shooting him right and he's like as that vision is fading and he's coming back to real life he's like i I can't do this i can't do this wasn't that his nickname too yeah he is they well his sister calls him bear because their last name bear is an abbreviation of it so like Richie calls Michael like Mikey Bear. They're just like oh. they're they are the Bear Brothers. So like he's oh, the Bear, oh. Mike's the Bear. But that's just like I think the the focal point of the Bear is just his uh, anxiety and the repression of his trauma. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Beautiful. I made too many words out of that question. No, no, no. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah, and this show's already been greenlit for a season two to a lot of people's joy. And like we said, as, as it ends, it definitely puts a cap on the season as a whole, but it also has room for storytelling as there's a potential rebranding ahead and, and trying to kind of reinvigorate the restaurant. So 
my big question to you, Gabe, is, is this show good enough in your mind to check out season two when it comes knowing that it has caused you anxiety at times? Yeah. I mean, this to to throw a comparison in there for recent history, this is like Jordan Peele's Get Out. This is like that entry for a creative team mm-hmm. that just is, uh, even on a smaller scale, it's a smash success and instantly builds clout with its audience to the point where there will be a, mm-hmm. a bunch of people waiting in mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. Uh, in front of their televisions. <laughs> oh, totally. For the second season, whenever that is. And yeah. I'm going to be right there too. Cool. I totally agree. This is one of my favorite things I've seen for TV in a while. And it's been a good year for TV. Severance is still my favorite thing, but... Yeah, I think I agree with you. The bear is right there beside it in terms of right. creativity, in terms of execution for technical proficiency. It was just... Yeah. And even tighter than any any of those other great shows to accomplish what the bear did in eight 30-minute episodes is just... Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. I agree. Uh, is there a song we could play here? I mean, it had a kick-ass soundtrack. I would either play... Oh, that's right. It had a sweet... It had so much good music. It, Wilco Yeah, I was going to say, I'd probably play the Wilco track. And uh, there's a couple other really good jams. I was like, they oh my gosh. Sufjan. They yeah, played Sufjan. They played Chicago. And they ended on a Radiohead track, which was fun. Right, right. Which track was that? It's Let Down. Yes. It's a sad track. But... Yeah, Radio... We got Radiohead... Sufjan Stevens and and Wilco and there's a couple other really yeah good I tracks. shazammed a bunch, but I you could just Spotify. I feel like, like they they really captured the spirit of Chicago in this as well. Like I I haven't been to Chicago myself, but we we yeah. have made a couple uh, films on Chicago here at the company we work at, and so uh, I really feel like I've gotten to know Chicago a lot through that. And so seeing it again from sort of like a ground level in this show was really interesting. It's one of those cities with a lot of personality, and it's such fertile ground for stuff like this, for storytelling on a granular level. Maybe find a, we should play the Sufjan track here, Chicago. Yeah. Real quick, I was going to say, I think they did a little bit of original scoring for some of the scenes, like where it kicks into high gear, and it's kind of like the kitchen scene's picking up. I'm pretty sure that was original score by someone whose name I forget, but I saw him in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the soundtrack's great. I think it'd be fun to play Chicago here. Here it is.
in my 